Welcome to What Is It About the Weather, where once a week we get together to explore the many ways that weather intertwines itself into our lives. I'm your host, Mark Jelinek, and this week we're going to be exploring the idea of our ability to cheat weather. That's right, you heard me, cheat weather. But before we get into the topic today, let me take a moment, as always, to say thank you to all of you who are supporting the podcast, from those who have moseyed on over to Patreon, kicked in a little something to keep us cost neutral, to those telling others about the podcast, to those giving me thoughts and ideas and feedback, whatever way you are supporting the podcast, it is greatly appreciated. I have, I've, I've had my first cup of coffee and it's still dark outside. Spring morning, kind of my temperatures, you know. Not too hot, not too cold, could kind of step outside and be comfortable and enjoy that cup of coffee. So that's down. You know, that's one of the rules, right? No podcasting before at least one cup of coffee. And I told you guys about green rain last week. Still got it going on here, but the good news is we've had some rain to wash it out. I, I just, you know, it's one of those things. Have you ever, like, you we did the non-aqueous rain, right? We were talking about more things like Sharknado and fish and other things that fall from the sky. But I will tell you that uh, I think pollen, this heavy, thick pollen qualifies. But there's the counterbalance with that. You know, usually with the creeping of pollen into the air, it also means a lot of blooming going on. And we certainly got that in my area. And for those that are enjoying springtime, I hope you're having Similar displays of color showing up in your neck of the woods. And with keeping with last week's trend of trying to stay under 30 minutes, we're going to try to do it again. <laughs> I know, I had a few episodes in there. Good run. We're getting a little lengthy. Not really horribly so, hopefully. But trying to knock it down by a few minutes here and there. Keep things moving along. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the main topic. I'm not going to get into a big, long, no soapbox stuff this week. No Weather Ready Nation. Although, you know, there is the whole uh, safe space selfie thing. I'll put a link in the show notes if you're interested. Where you're supposed to take a picture of your... Do a little selfie in your safe space for dangerous weather. No National Weather Podcast Month. None of those things to fill up. So let's move on. Let's move on. Cheating weather. Cheating weather. That's what we're talking about today. And and for this story, we're bringing you know so many big things together. Weather, you know, affects us all every day. Sports. Many of us participate in sports. Many of us have participated in sports in our lives. Many of us watch sports. So it impacts a lot of us around the globe. I mean, you look at just about any country, and while the sport may change, there's almost always that item that brings us together as a community in different ways sometimes, <laughs> in enjoyment. Yeah, we got the World Soccer World Cup coming up this year. In, in the U.S., as an example, we just had the college basketball finals, baseball season's kicking off, this stuff going on all over the globe. But one thing's for sure, a lot of people participate. And then, of course, we're going to bring conspiracy theories into all this. Well, you know, got to do it every so often. But it'll be a lighthearted conspiracy theory. I promise you. I promise you. 
Okay, so we've got weather, sports, conspiracy theories. Now, I'm talking about cheating weather, but let's kind of put this in context. We've talked about weather modification before, right? What we do to kind of not be impacted by the weather, if you will. Now, some of it has been actually going after the weather itself. We've talked a little bit about the weather modification industry and some of the history there, some of the early attempts, some things that work now. You know, when people always ask me for an easy example, you know, you can look at cloud seeding and stuff, but probably the, the best example I have is is winter sports stuff. It's just the creation of of snow at ski resorts or things like that. So, not a new topic. I saw a video on like LinkedIn this week, I think is where it was, of some machine that uh, uses a technology NASA created to essentially create thunderstorm clouds. I don't, you know, it kind of passed through my feet in there. I saw it one time. It's interesting. And I started thinking about all the power. Uh, this thing was heating up, drastically heating up the air. And I, I'm sure they were introducing. Um, something that created condensation of clouds. And it did create a rain event. But the amount of energy needed to create one rain cloud seemed like maybe not a good use. It's one of those things where could do it, maybe not really going to ever reach the mainstream. But nice to know. But we humans, right, so not only are we trying to modify the weather, we modify what we do to change our interaction with the weather. The way we build things, whether it's putting gutters or downspouts, or even overhangs so people aren't out in the weather when it's going on. When you think about it, a simple shade, whether it's you know some cafe sitting somewhere or just on on a building on a, off a house, you know, it can protect you from the sun, from the rain. So many things it can do. And we've been doing that forever, right? We also do it in what we wear. Whether it's an extension like an umbrella that we might carry around, that again, you, know, you can use it for both sun and rain. Or just in the type of clothing we wear that we've waterproofed. And we've talked about a lot of these things over time. But we also do it in the way we behave. We may make a choice not to go out in the weather. So we modify our plans, our activities. And this is particularly true of sports. Now, when I was a kid growing up, I actually loved when weather intervened. Nothing I loved more than playing sports in just the nastiest weather. It's a lot of fun. It adds an element of chaos, if you will. To what's going down. So these outside activities, whether it's just the simple us transporting ourselves from A to B, or things that we might do more commonly for lengthy periods of time outside, including sports, right? You know, a lot of sports we've transitioned inside, but a lot of them we still play outside, and we like. I mean, that's the whole point, right? I uh, still drives me crazy that. Well, I understand why we do it, why we put some of these sports that should be played outside indoors and charge lots of money to watch it. <laughs> I get all that. But the actual playing for us every day, so often it's out in the elements. And it, to me, that's where it should be. Now, during this spring time of year, 
there's a sport that is played globally. You know, there are not a lot of them. I can think of soccer slash football as being one of them that's kind of known the world over. It's probably the most recognized sport globally. But another one that's well-known around the globe is golf, for all oddness about it. And I think it's because golf is as much about being outside as it is specifically just about the sport, right? It is about getting outside. It's not a game that's been changed drastically so we can play it indoors. We look at football slash soccer, and there's so many arenas, or even you know, one of the things that I played growing up is indoor soccer, right? So we've modified that. And yes, there are driving ranges inside and ways you can play with virtual reality. You can play golf indoors, but it's not the same. So one aspect of that sport compared to almost any other sport specifically is about being outside. About taking a walk through nature, if you will, as part of the sport process. And while it's not necessarily the easiest sport to pick up, and it's certainly not inexpensive, I do think that that's been part of the appeal, this being outside. So, of course, weather comes into play. Can't avoid it. Can't avoid it. But, you know, it's really, you know, see, we, we watch it. We, we create that connection. So weather and golf kind of go hand in hand. And in this season, we kind of get the kickoff season, if you will. Warmer temps are coming for the Northern Hemisphere. I realize I'm talking very generally Northern Hemisphere, but even, you know, I would say the same, even in the fall. I've never been, you guys know, I'm not a big fan of of the core seasons in terms of outdoor activities. But the the transitional seasons of spring and fall, they, they add so many interesting dynamics that make doing sports or doing outdoor activities interesting. So with spring, you have warmer temps. I mentioned the colors coming out. And certainly in my area right now, it's vibrant. Just all sorts of incredible colors coming out. And quite frankly, it gives us a chance to limber up after a long winter tucked away, if you will. Right? Gives us out of our uh, sitting, sedentary, not doing anything mode into being more physically active, which is also a good thing. So people all over the world are kind of kicking that into motion. Yeah, some people play golf in the winter. It's just, yeah, it's just hardcore people, I guess. Now, on a professional level, it also signifies something very meaningful and significant that's going on this weekend. Doesn't make this podcast episode any more or less interesting, but there's a tradition in the world of professional golf that's been going on for many years called the Masters. And it's considered a major tournament, if you will, in that sport. And for golf, it's a major tournament that always stays at the same location, which can't be said for most of the other majors. You know, there, there have been times when some of the other majors have stuck to a course for an extended period of time, but generally speaking, they rotate. But not the Masters. Always played in Augusta, Georgia. Just, uh, I don't know, 
couple hours away from where I am right now. And one of the things that's interesting with that whole thing is the timing, right? I, you know, I talked about how everything's coming into uh, you know full visual vibrance in my vicinity right now. And this is one of the things that the Masters is well known for. So even people who are not big golfers can appreciate the Masters for the stunning beauty of the course. The flowering plants, just how it matches with nature. So I know some people that enjoy it, not even for the golf, but just the stunning visuals. Now, as you can imagine, getting that delicate balance, the timing right and everything else, means weather's probably involved, right? Spring coming at just the right time, if you will. But also the sport itself. You know, whether you look at golf in general, what weather element don't you have that impacts the game, right? Whether it's the wind, the heat, humidity, rain, all these things factor into golf. And what some golfers try to avoid and others like to have And the Masters has all that, hands down, every year. You know, there's some rain that's going to roll through the tournament. And, and, you know, the question is, will it come through when people are trying to play? And will there be thunderstorms and lightning where they have to adjust? Certainly you've got those things. And I even can look back. I, I tweeted out earlier this week. A friend of mine, weather forecaster at CNN, Brandon Miller and I, were at the Masters about 12 years ago. This is when I was in grad school and Brandon was still an undergrad. And we had a rain delay. Now, Brandon and I, we were there to watch the Masters, of course, but, you know, being weather nerds at the time, we were enjoying this element of weather being thrown into the mix. And at the clubhouse at the time, this is, you know, again, pre-mobile phones, which, by the way, you can't take on the course in Augusta. But, you know, you didn't have as many things throwing the weather at you. Well, we found a little computer in the little kind of clubhouse area near the, you know, few patrons that stuck around. Because that's the thing, right? The thunderstorms that rolled in was, were they going to get back to playing that day? So Brandon and I kind of went into forecasting mode and had fun with that. We were, we were looking at the radar, kind of found a way to use one of the computers Maybe not exactly the way it was attended, but certainly very useful for the folks there. So instead of it displaying information about, you know, generally about the Masters, it was giving us good weather data. And everybody started gathering around as we were looking at this and asking for updates and stuff. So we, we did a little bit of primetime forecasting, hyper-local forecast, if you will. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. But the course is also impacted by all this weather event. So, you know, that's a rain delay. That impacts play, if you will, in terms of it starting and stopping because, you know, didn't want people out in dangerous weather. But one of the things Augusta and the Masters is well known for are the greens. And they're very fast. They're very complex, very tricky. 
And rain has a major impact on that. It tends to slow things down, so it can change the scoring. It has a real impact on the game. And even things like wind, there's some holes that are set up. There's one that's a very short hole, relatively speaking. Yet there's water involved. And the wind plays a particular importance because it being a short hole, players are hitting shorter clubs, which tends to put more loft on the ball, and throws it up into an area where trees at a lower level block in the wind. But that ball gets exposed. It can do all sorts of things. It adds an interesting dynamic to the play. One that makes what should be a seemingly short, simple hole not so simple. can wreak havoc on someone's score. So there we have it. Weather and sports, golf. But you're, you're probably wondering, where, where does this conspiracy theory that you mentioned come in, Mark? You kept me mentioning conspiracy theory. This cheating stuff, where's all that? Well, it is about cheating weather. And I've mentioned all the things that are blooming this time of year. The azaleas, the dogwoods and such. It's, it's a common tradition in the South. It adds real beauty for, I don't know, a few weeks to you know month or so. And it is part of the season that, you know, we're living here that I do enjoy before it gets too hot by my standards. But it's all about timing, right? It's a spring thing. And for the longest time, people were always amazed that the masters seemed to have these stunning views. How is it possible? How were they able to pull that off? That's always been the question. So at some point, Someone introduced the ice theory. Now, we all know that, you know, things tend to start blooming when it gets warmer. So the ice theory was simply as follows. That if things, if spring was coming too early before the tournament, that Augusta National would bring in tons and tons of ice, put it around the plants, in an effort to delay the blooming process so that it was perfectly timed to occur when the tournament was going on, to maximize the effect. Now, ice is used to do such things when we when flowers are shipped, you might have dry ice involved. The, you know, the idea just being slowing down the behavior. But the real question is, is this reality or is it urban legend, you know? Do we really have a conspiracy theory on our hands? Because this, this rumor's been around for decades, right? And I was, it was funny, in, in looking at it, I even found people that used it as a justification for their own doing of this thing. I, I was reading about some azalea walk in Houston where somebody was bringing in 8,000 pounds of ice to do this thing, to do what supposedly the Masters did. Now, that story was about 10 years old, and I haven't seen them try it again since. But the funny thing is, I also read stories that would suggest that trying to ice plants in that way, especially since it's likely that the ice is going to melt, and then you're going to have to add more ice, because, you know, if you're trying to delay blooming of thousands of plants 
for a couple of weeks, let's say, you'd have to bring in ice, put the ice in, the ice would melt, then you'd have to add more ice. That if you did that, you may actually make the plants bloom sooner. And while I don't know enough about how azalea's inner workings go down, the, the story I was reading about was specifically about maple trees and maple syrup, but the point being that the sap flows, which is what this person, you know, this azalea event was trying to do. They were trying to slow the sap, but the sap speed actually increases when things are going between freezing and non-freezing. That's actually what triggers the behavior is the back and forth. Again, don't know if that applies to azaleas, but, but the idea essentially is the blooming takes place because the whole kind of getting cold, uncold creates that heart pumping, if you will, for the plant and gets things moving along. So actually putting ice on the plants, unless you knew you knew that the ice wasn't going to melt at all, and you were going to be able, I, I just, you think about how much ice that would be. I, I'm, I've had the pleasure of being on the course in Augusta and have walked around and know how many plants there are. And I think you would ruin the course, literally, to try to bring in the amount of ice that would be needed to do such a thing. Now, I could see it if you were trying to do it for a day. Like, let's say you put one batch in and try to slow things out. But like I said, what if you ended up speeding it up? What if you counteracted what you were trying to do? But really, probably what killed the belief in this whole thing off was just last year. We had a very mild winter and a very early spring, and everything bloomed early. And it was the same in Augusta. Everything was green at tournament time, and there were still a, a few things blooming, but but most of the color was gone. But you may say, okay, Mark, that 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 just means that w they knew that case was going to be out of hand, so they didn't do it. But uh, I've I, I've put a few links in the show notes, and you'll find that even a person who worked there said that they have actually tried different things, different chemical things as well to slow down the process or to be able to control the process. But for the most part, it seems like nature's just nature. And they're more likely to have been smart in selecting plants that, you know, there's a mix that maybe some bloom a little earlier, a little later. Uh, you know, it doesn't really matter. And color in blooming plants is not usually just one day. There's peak days, there's no doubt. But it lasts long enough to where you probably get a little leeway. So if spring's roughly at a certain time every year and the tournament's roughly at that time every year, it's likely just nature doing its thing. But who knows? Maybe somewhere in the inner workings underneath the course, there's a whole secret tunneling system in, through which they can transport all this ice. This unseen ice that magically shows up in dump truck sizes, in big old tons of dump trucks, because that's what you would need. Or maybe they just ice a few at visually specific locations that make it ideal. Who knows? What I do know is this is a kind of conspiracy theory I like because if it's real, if it's not, it doesn't matter. It's not hurting anybody. <laughs> Except somebody in Houston who tried to ice all their azaleas. I'm still curious if that worked. And I never saw a follow-up story. So I'm going to assume it. You know, maybe it didn't give the results that he was hoping for. Or it's not been repeated since. 
So it seems like here we've busted the idea of cheating weather. Doesn't mean we won't keep trying. Doesn't mean we won't keep trying to modify things or modify our behavior. But when you try to do things on a scale of what this theory was, it's just not easy or cost effective. Or can magically happen unless they've got some underground ice production plant. Maybe they do. I just don't know. Maybe they got that and I'm just unaware. Stranger things have happened. But so far it seems like it's just not plausible. So for all of you who are watching the Masters or enjoying it this week in person, enjoy the beauty because it's incredible. It's incredible. And just know, weather played a role. And we're likely just letting weather play out. All right. Enough about cheating weather, conspiracy theories. The cone of terror is at hand. Yes, you heard me. The cone of terror came across a story this week where they're talking about changing how we forecast hurricanes and the graphics that are shown to people. And we, we have this thing we call the cone of uncertainty, and it's been very commonly used for hurricane forecasting for a long time, right? And I saw this write-up that the title of it talked about the cone of terror. And, you know, I know we had a year with a lot of very deadly and devastating hurricanes, but I'd never heard that term before. And in reading the story, the name Cone of Terror didn't seem to be attributed to anyone. And so I Google it. It's like everything. We Google it. And I noticed that if I you know, truly saw Cone of Terror, there were only a few plausible searches that search results that came back and every one of them was a reprint of this story this same author on different sites it looked like somebody you know had produced something that could be used across a media company and i just want to say bad form don't don't create something and give it a name if it really hasn't been given the name and been you you, you used it like it was out there a ton of times now maybe you have maybe you used it and you told a bunch of people about it and they used it back to you but if I can't Google something, and I know it's not the end I'll be off, if you give me a phrase and I can't Google it and find more results than just your story, then it's not something known as something, right? Maybe in your mind, but not in everybody else's. All right, off the soapbox. No more conspiracies. No more cones of terror. I agree that we need to improve how we convey hurricane information, all forecast information. This, that's just one example to folks make it easier to understand and use. I get all that. But we don't need to do it with dramatic headlines. Yeah, I know. The story probably wouldn't have been printed otherwise. It's not useful just to say, hey, we're trying to improve this and make it better. We've got to make it sound devastating and end of world. Unfortunate. Very unfortunate. All right. We're doing it. I'm keeping it under 30. So I'm going to let you go because I got to, you know, I got all my time here and I don't, I don't want to run over 30, but I hope you've enjoyed this look into cheating weather. Don't think we did it in this case. If you know of something where you've cheated weather or you know a way that we've cheated weather, not just modifying, but actually kind of we're sneaky and pulled a fast one on weather. Let me know. What is it about the weather at gmail.com or what is it about the weather.com slash contact? 
But in the meantime, like I said, look around you. Enjoy what weather's doing into your environment, particularly in this case where it's making things stunningly beautiful. And stop and pause and enjoy that for a little while. Because as we all know, there's much more to weather than the weather itself. This is too much for production. We're tired of hearing our uncle grovel, so please support him on patreon.com slash weather.